So we are on a theme right now called Planted, and the title of my message this morning is Planted in His Presence. And this is what I'd like to do this morning. I want to first talk just a little bit about the presence of God, and then I would like to release a word that I've been carrying for about six months now. I believe it's a prophetic word for the Life Church St. Charles family. And I want to release that this morning. And then I want to talk about how we respond to that word. So does that sound good to you? Great. Well, let's jump in. Let's talk about planted. Before we do, I'm just going to pray quickly. I was thinking this morning, you know, every time we sit down at our dinner table, we pray a blessing on the food because we're about to eat, right? And I realize we're about to get into the word of God. That's like a meal to our spirits. And we got a feast this morning. So I just want to pray and bless this meal, okay? So Father, we thank you for that which we're about to receive from your word. We thank you that your word nourishes us, that it doesn't go forth without performing that which you sent it to perform. Father, I ask this morning that you would anoint my lips, that they would say exactly what you want me to say. And Father, I ask that you would anoint our ears, that we would have ears of understanding, that we would hear with understanding, that that seed would take deep root in our heart and unlock the fullness of what you have for us this morning. I thank you in the mighty, wonderful, awesome name of Jesus Christ. Amen. All right, let's talk about being planted in his presence. So the presence of God is pretty amazing, right? I mean, it's awesome. Who enjoyed the presence of God this morning during worship? Come on. Worship team, you guys are awesome. Wonderful, wonderful, wonderful. You know, we sing so many songs about the presence of God. If we were to list all the worship songs that have ever been written about the presence of God, I don't know if there would be an end to it. There is nothing like standing in the presence of God. Why is that? What is it about the presence of God? I don't want to get all super spiritual on you, and I don't want to get super heady, but one of the things that's so amazing about the presence of God is it feels good. (laughs) It feels good, right? The Bible says in his presence is fullness of joy. Not a little bit of joy. The fullness of joy is in his presence. And when we come together and stand in his presence, we're standing and we experience the fullness of joy. His presence is amazing. His presence is wonderful. We've been experiencing his presence of God in our times of worship, haven't we? The Bible says that God inhabits the praises of the people, of his people, and things have been happening. There's too many to list, but things happen in his presence. Do you remember the little boy who came a couple months back and he had Lyme's disease? You remember he hadn't been to public school in five months. His family had to pull him out and homeschool him because with Lyme's comes all these other symptoms and issues, and it means the stress of being in a room with the noise and the lights, it was too much for his body. And he would have these massive migraine headaches that would shut him down. So he had to be isolated and schooled at home. And he came forward in one of our meetings for prayer, and guess what? God healed him, and that week the mother sent a picture to our church family of him at school with his friends, where he has been ever since. That is the power of the presence of God. Do you remember the woman who came? She was just a guest among us, never set foot in our doors before, sat right there in the second row. I saw her introduce myself and noticed she had a cast on her foot. And I asked her what happened. I thought she'd broken a bone. No, she didn't break a bone. She shattered the bones plural, in her foot. And I encouraged her. I said, oh, you should come up for prayer at the end of our meeting. The presence of God here is here. He'll touch you and he'll heal your foot. So she came forward at the end and our prayer team prayed for her. 
and she felt something in her foot. So she said, I'm going to my doctor. The next day, she went to the doctor, and guess what? Those shattered bones had fused back together. The doctor said, your bones are whole. He took the cast off. He took her cane, and he said, you don't even need crutches anymore. That's the power of the presence of God. Last week, we heard about my good friend Judy, who has a friend, Pat, who was diagnosed with heart disease and needed surgery. Judy laid hands on Pat. The presence of God came. When Pat went to the doctor, guess what? Her arteries were totally clear. No heart surgery needed. Come on, people. That's the presence of God. That's what we're talking about this morning, being planted in his presence. His presence is so wonderful. You know, when we stand in his presence, one of the things about it is we're standing in the presence of someone by whom we are fully known, and he loves us anyway. I think this is phenomenal. We can't get that with anyone else on this planet. We come close with a few people who are close to us, maybe our parents, maybe our siblings, depending on our relationship with them, (laughs) maybe our spouse. They know more about us than anyone else on the planet, probably. Oh, and our children, too. (laughs) But they don't know us fully. Only God sees into the hidden places of our hearts and our minds. God knows our every strength. And when he stands in his presence, he says, I love those. He knows our weaknesses. And when we stand in his presence, he says, I love you. And I love your areas of weakness. He knows our dreams. He knows our fears. He knows our thoughts. He knows everything there is to know about us. He knows things about us we don't know about ourselves. And yet when we stand in his presence, he says to us, I love you. And that's what makes his presence so amazing. There's another thing that makes his presence so amazing, and that's when we're standing in his presence, we encounter the holiness of God, right? I think our American culture, we've kind of lost a little bit of a revelation on the holiness of God. I just want to say really quickly something on the holiness of God. God is so holy, nothing unclean can stand in his presence and live. Let me try this side. God is so holy, nothing unclean can stand in his presence and live. I'm going to give you an example of this, okay? Let's look at the Old Covenant. Sometimes when we look at the Old Covenant, it actually helps us understand the reality of what we're living in the New Covenant, right? So in the Older Covenant, God's presence didn't dwell among us like he does today. Where did his presence dwell? In an ark. It was called the Ark of the Covenant, Now, when God gave instructions to Moses to build this ark, they were very specific. And once it was built, God said this to Moses, anoint the ark with oil and it will become holy. And that's what Moses did. He anointed anointed that ark and it became holy and God's presence came and dwelt in it. Do you know why? Because God's presence can't touch anything unclean. So the ark had to be made holy. And it was so holy, no one could touch the ark or they would die. Even the Levitical priests who had been consecrated to God to offer sacrifices on behalf of God's people, they couldn't actually touch the ark. The instructions for carrying the ark when they were journeying in the wilderness, they didn't carry the ark. There were rings on the side of the ark and poles went through it and they carried the poles. And that was the only way they could transport the ark without touching it. You remember the story of David's friend Uzzah? This is hundreds of years later. David is moving the ark back to Jerusalem. And I'm not sure why, but he doesn't do it the way God instructed him to. God said when the ark is transported, it's carried only by the Levitical priests, and they carry it by the poles. 
David put it on a wagon pulled by oxen. I'm not sure it might have something to do with him being a man. A man don't like to follow instructions. They just want to do it. I'm just kidding. I shouldn't have said that. That's not true. We know it. Um, I couldn't resist. But for whatever reason, maybe David hadn't read the instruction. Maybe he didn't remember it. But he put the ark on a wagon. And it's going along. And David, it says, is dancing and praising and singing to the Lord. And one of the oxen begins to stumble. And the cart starts to tilt, and one of David's Levitical priests reaches his hand up to steady the ark, and what happens to him? He dies on the spot. Wow, that's the holiness of God. He hadn't been made clean. He wasn't holy enough to touch the ark, and when he touched God's holiness, the unclean thing had to die. We see this with the Philistines. The Philistines were the main enemy of God's people. Anyone in here an Avengers fan? Any Avengers Infinity War fans? Oh my gosh, how are you people my friends? Every hand should be up right now. I love the Avengers. Okay, the Philistines, if you don't know the story, they are the Thanos to the Avengers. They are the big baddies. Of all the enemies of God's people, they're the big ones, okay? And at one point in history, they come into the Israelites' camp, they attack them, and guess what they do? They steal the Ark of the Covenant. This vessel that houses the presence of God on earth at this time. And they take it, and you know what they do with it? They bring it into their temple, and they place it before their idol, the god Dagon, as an offering to their idol. I'm sorry, I really want to laugh at them. I should feel really sorry for them, but it's just funny to me. They don't understand the holiness of the presence of God. So they think they've made an offering to their god, and they go to bed that night. And when they wake up in the morning and come in, what's happened? Their idol, this massive idol, which is made, oh, thank you, son, which is made of wood and bronze and all these heavy things, has fallen over flat on his face, prostrate before the Ark of the Covenant. They don't know what to do, so they spend hours getting their idol back together. They put him back up. They go to bed that night. The next morning, they come in, and guess what's happened? He's fallen on his face before the Ark of the Covenant, and this time, he's decapitated, and he's lost his hands. Then a plague hits their city, and people are dying by the droves. Now, they don't understand the presence of God and the holiness, but they know something is going on with this ark, and they got to get it out of there. So they ship it off to Gath. And as soon as the presence of God comes into Gath, remember, these are enemies. As soon as it comes into another city, the camp of the enemies, a plague hits that city, and they start dying off. So they ship it to another city, and the people of that city get hit with the plague, and they start dying off. Don't you sometimes want to read the Bible, and don't you, aren't you tempted just to go, idiots? I won't call them idiots, because without the grace of God, I'd probably do the exact same thing. But from this side of it, we look at it and think, why? So they make this decision, we got to get this thing out of here. And they figure out a way to send it back to the Israelites. So they put it on a cart and they send it. But here's the best part. They don't just send back the ark. They send many expensive gifts to go along with it. I think this is awesome. Do you know why this is awesome? This is a picture of what happens when we stand in the presence of God and we encounter his holiness. I believe there is a reality possible for us that when we stand in God's presence, the unclean things in our lives, they can't live. They have to die. Maybe not immediately. That ark was there for months. But there is, I believe, a power in the presence of God. You know, the, the presence of God lived in the ark then. Where does it live now? With us. The church 
today is the modern day Ark of the Covenant. The church carries the presence of God in this world. That means we have the holiness of God living among us, which means if we can live in the light of this, we should be so holy that anytime something unclean comes along and wants to touch us, it dies. When sickness comes knocking on our door, it needs to die. It's not clean. When an enemy comes, when depression comes knocking on the door, it's unclean. This is how I got free of depression, those of you who know my testimony. I had a massive revelation. It was actually an enemy of God. And I knew God had made me holy. And if I was holy, that enemy, one of us had to die, and it wasn't going to be me. <laughs> That's the revelation God gave me. And the other thing is when the enemy comes knocking on our door and he tries to steal from us, I don't know if we really understand the holiness of God or live in the light of this, but there is a place where you can demand that the enemy not only give back what he stole from you, but send it back with interest. That's the power of the presence of God. We have been planted in his presence. Okay, why am I talking so much about the presence of God? This is where I want to deliver this word I've been carrying. I believe we here at Life Church St. Charles are on the edge of a massive outpouring of the presence of God. I'm going to say that again. I believe we are on the verge of a massive outpouring of the presence of God. There is a blessing coming to us as a church family, and it's him. It's his presence. And he has been coming, and we have been encountering his presence, but he's coming in a way, I am telling you, beyond what any of us can imagine, what any of us have seen or heard. His presence is coming among us. I'm telling you. And I believe it's a significant time for us. I believe we're living in the day that the Israelites lived in. After they'd been on their journey for a long time and they finally approached the Jordan River and they camped the eve before and they know tomorrow we're going in and we're taking hold of God's promises. And Joshua, their leader, pulls them aside and this is the commission he gives them. He says this to them. Consecrate yourselves for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. I believe we are living in that day right now. I believe there's an invitation from the Holy Spirit to every one of us this morning to consecrate ourselves to the Lord for tomorrow. He's going to do wonders among us. No eye has seen, no ear has heard what the Lord has in store for his people. We are living in these days and he wants us to get our expectations up on him. So in light of that, I just want to take a minute now and I want to talk about consecration. That's a funny word, isn't it? Consecration. It's kind of very Old Testament. It's a really simple definition. It just means to make holy. Now, I want to say this to anyone who's hearing my voice. If you are born again, you have been made holy by the blood of Jesus. We sang it in our songs all this morning. David, can I have that verse up from Colossians? Colossians says this, this is Colossians 1, he has reconciled you to himself through the death of Christ in his physical body. As a result, he has brought you into his own presence and you are holy. Not you will be holy. You are holy and blameless as you stand before him without a single fault. People, this is the power of the presence of God. 
we, with all our failings, with all our weaknesses, can stand in the presence of God. And because of the blood of Christ, we can stand in the presence of God and not die, but live. And not only do we live, but we're made whole in his presence. That's the power of being consecrated. So God, the blood of Christ, you can take that down, David, thank you. The blood of Christ has made us holy. And yet there's an invitation to us this morning. Consecrate yourself, for tomorrow I will do wonders among you. I honestly believe that we as a church family are in a season of consecration. I believe that's what's going on in our meetings. I believe that's what's going on in our lives. God is wanting us to consecrate ourselves, to get ready for that, what he's about to do among us. And so I want to talk about consecration just a little bit because there's an invitation but how do we take hold of that? If I just say, okay, church, go consecrate yourselves, you're probably going to be like, I don't know what she's talking about. <laughs> so I want to look at a picture in the Old Covenant again that paints a beautiful picture of consecration so that we understand what that looks like now in the New Covenant. And we can accept the invitation that the Lord has sent us. You know, it's like um, we had a graduation party we were invited to yesterday. It was Lily's. The Washcos aren't here because Lily Washco is graduating today. Congratulations to Lily. We got an invitation in the mail, but getting the invitation doesn't mean we're going to the party, does it? We have to RSVP. We have to show up, and then we don't show up empty-handed. We came bearing a gift. It's kind of like that for us. God is extending an invitation to us this morning, and all of us are invited but we have to respond, we have to show up, and we do need to come with something to offer him. So that's what we're going to talk about with consecration. So here's the picture in the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, this is how the people of God consecrated themselves. Okay, remember, God's presence didn't dwell among them like he does with us. They didn't have his spirit living on the inside of them. Christ hadn't made the sacrifice yet. They hadn't been purified by the blood of Jesus right? The presence of God lived in an ark, and that ark was kept in a secret room in the tabernacle called the Most Holy of Holies. And once a year, the Levitical priests would consecrate themselves. They'd go in, and they'd make an offering on behalf of the people. But the people themselves never got that close to the presence of God. The way they communicated with God was something in the outer courts of the tabernacle. It was right by the entrance, where if you were just walking by, you could see it. It was called the altar. It was the altar of burnt offering. Now, I did quite a, a lot of study on this, and here's what's interesting about the altar of burnt offering. The altar was a place where they would communicate with God. This was the place of their relationship with the Lord, and this was the place that they consecrated themselves to the Lord. And here's how it worked. Like the ark, when the altar was built, there were very specific instructions given to Moses. And the last instruction was this. Anoint the altar with oil, and everything that touches it will be made holy. Whoa, think about that a second. With the ark, everything that touches it that's unclean dies. With the altar, everything unclean that touches it becomes holy. Whoa, this is powerful. And so this is what the Israelites would do. <clears throat> they would bring sacrifices all day long. I mean all flipping day long. <laughs> it says the fire never went out on this altar. And this is what they were appointed to do. Every event that happened in their life, they were to bring an offering to the Lord to be put on the altar. So let's say something really wonderful happened. They had a baby. Hooray! Maybe they 
had twins. Double hooray. Speaking of babies, Sarah and Joshua are here with baby Emma. Woo! I'm so happy to see you. You know, um, Sarah and Joshua were totally in the spirit. They named their baby girl Emma because God spoke to them and said, it's for Emmanuel, God with us. Thank you for coming on the day we're talking about God's presence being with us. Thank you. Anyway, if they had a baby, that was a happy event, right? Especially in those times. You know, you made it through pregnancy, you had a baby, the baby lived and so did you. That's something to give thanks for, right? <laughs> and so what they would do, they were called to bring an offering to the Lord. So they would bring a sheep or a goat or a bull or a turtle dove or whatever it was. They would come to the tabernacle, they would stand at the door, they would hand it over to the priest, but before the priest took it, they would put their hand on the head of the animal. And the priest would pray, and it acted as a substitute for whatever event was taking place in their life. So let's just say Sarah and Joshua are living in the Old Covenant, and they had Emma. They would bring an offering. Let's say they bring a goat. They give it to the priest, and as they put their hand on it, they say, this goat represents Emma. And that goat would go on, and the fire would consume it, and Emma would be made holy to the Lord. That's what consecration looked like. Here's the thing. They didn't just do it with the good events in their life. They did it with all their sorrows as well. They were commanded to. If a crime was committed against them, if they lost a family member, had a death, if something happened to them that wasn't good, they were required to bring an offering to the altar, and they would put their hand on it, and that, that animal would be a substitute for this area of loss in their life. And as it hit the altar, guess what? That area in their life became holy to the Lord. This is the power of consecration. They brought everything to the Lord. They did it as individuals, and they did it as a nation. When they were attacked, their nation would bring offerings to the God. When they had national success, they would bring offerings. And it says the fire never went out on the altar. This is a picture of what consecration looks like for us. We know Jesus is the ultimate sacrifice, right? We sang it this morning. We can come into his presence because the blood of Jesus has made us holy. We are consecrated by the blood of Jesus. But what about all the events in our lives? You know, when I was studying this, I found this. Theologians say this. It's not just the sacrifice that represents Jesus. The altar represents Jesus. He is the one that God anointed and said, whoever he touches will be made holy. Whatever we allow to touch the cross becomes holy to the Lord. David, put Isaiah 61 up. I just want you to know, I'm not making this up. I'm not preaching some strange doctrine. This is the Bible. This is what Isaiah 61 says. This is what Jesus said when he walked into the temple, picked up the scroll, and said, this is me. Today this has been fulfilled in your presence. This is the verse. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has what? Anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives, and release from darkness for the prisoners. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God. To comfort all who mourn and provide for those who grieve in Zion. To bestow on them, here we go, a crown of beauty instead of ashes. 
the oil of joy instead of mourning, a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. They will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. We have an altar today in the new covenant where we can come and not just receive the consecration that comes from Christ's sacrifice, but where we can come and bring the everyday events of our lives. We can offer them on the altar of Christ Jesus and say, I need you to touch this area. And my faith is that the moment I lay this on the altar of you, this thing in my life is going to become holy. That's what consecration looks like. That's what the Holy Spirit's inviting us in today. So that means this. When we have joys in our life, we've heard lots of testimonies later of, lately of people getting promotions or new houses or things in finances. We have a baby in the house. We have people pregnant in the house. These are wonderful things. And we come and we give an offering to the Lord, don't we? And as we give an offering to the Lord, the Bible talks about bring your offerings of praise. It's a sacrifice and an offering of praise and thanksgiving that we bring to the Lord. And those things are made holy in our lives. But what about the other areas? What about when we suffer a loss in our life? What about when someone we love dies and we weren't ready for it? What about if sickness comes knocking on our door? What about if we lose our job? What about if the people who we're closest to seem to turn against us and we don't understand what is going on? What about relationships we have that don't look the way we think they're supposed to look? What are we doing with those things? I believe God wants us to come and consecrate those areas of our lives to him. He wants us to bring those areas and place them on the altar of Jesus Christ with a faith knowing, as I give this area to you, you will make it holy. You are the one who brings beauty from what? Ashes. When we hold on to these areas, a lot of times, at least maybe this is just me, but I find when I'm in an area where it's not looking the way I thought, what I tend to do is pull back a little bit from the Lord and try to figure it out. Anyone else do that? What is going on here? Why is this happening to me? How many people have ever asked the question, why? Why is this happening to me? And then we try to figure out, what do I need to do? I need to do something. I need to fix it. I need to do this. I need to do that. That's me, at least. Maybe I'm alone. (laughs) That's how I respond a lot. What I actually need to do is come and say, Lord, I don't understand this, and it's an area of loss for me right now. But I know this. You're not only the sacrifice that consecrated me, you're the altar. And everything in my life that I bring to you, you will make it holy. You will bring beauty from it. You will give me a garland. You will give me joy instead of despair. So I'm going to bring this as an offering to you. That's what consecration looks like in the New Testament. Is everyone with me so far? Hebrews 13, 15 says this. Through Jesus, therefore, David, do we have this verse? Through Jesus, therefore, let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise, the fruit of lips that openly profess his name. I think that verse beautifully sums up what it is to consecrate ourselves to the Lord. It's bringing him a sacrifice of praise as an offering. It's really an interesting that thing, those two words, sacrifice and offering. I heard a quote actually from Barbie Reynolds uh, that was said by a man called David Livingston, 
And he said this, if a commission from an earthly king is considered an honor, how is a commission from our heavenly king considered a sacrifice? Whoa, think about that a minute. The reality is sometimes with things going on in our lives, there are areas where we don't understand. And what God wants us to do is bring an offering. And that may feel like a sacrifice. It may feel like, I don't know how to say thank you, God, right now. I feel betrayed right now, actually, Lord. I don't know how to say thank you. Thanks, I'm being betrayed by this person that I thought was my best friend. I'm just making stuff up here. I'm sorry, Lord. I just lost my job, and I don't know how I'm going to pay my bills. I don't know how to say thank you, God, for that. I don't. I'm sorry. That's the sacrifice. It's where we have faith that whatever circumstance we're looking at, that's not what it's going to end up being. If we offer it to God, it will become holy without spot or blemish. David had this choice in the Bible once. And guess what? He kind of blew it. You remember David? The man after God's own heart? The mighty king? He had one time that we hear about where I, I think he failed miserably. He was supposed to be out at battle, and he stayed home in bed. And he got up, and he was wandering around on the balcony of his palace, and we know the story. He looked over and saw a naked woman bathing. I guess they didn't have blinds and shutters. <laughs> and instead of looking away, he looked upon her, and he lusted after her, and he did worse than that. He calls her over, and he commits adultery with her. And then I think something happens to David. I think he begins to feel something that we've probably all of us felt at some point in our lives. I think he begins to feel shame. He realizes what he has done is not right. I think he feels shame. And he suddenly realizes, i got to cover this up. I'm really afraid. Shame always makes us afraid, doesn't it? i got to cover this area up. So what does he do? He commands that her husband, who, by the way, is one of his mighty men, who has been willing to lay down his life for David on multiple occasions, he takes that man and he commands that he be sent to the front lines where he's going to be killed in battle, and he dies. Whoa, this is heavy. <laughs> he's acting out of shame. He has an opportunity to take his sin and come to the altar of Christ Jesus and say, hey, God, guess what? I blew it. And I've sinned, and this area is really yucky to me right now. But I know that Christ is not just the sacrifice who forgives my sin, but the mess I've made in this sin, I'm going to come, and I'm going to give you an offering. I'm going to repent. I'm going to place it on the altar of Jesus Christ, and I'm going to give it to you. And Lord, I'm going to trust that somehow you're going to redeem this in my life. You're going to make this area holy. You know, in Isaiah 61 later, it says, for shame, we get a double portion of honor. This is what's available to us. But David didn't do that. He hid. He covered up his mistake. He covered up what he felt like was his failing. He has the guy killed. He marries Bathsheba, so it's all good and thing. She gets pregnant. They have a child. So this is going on for months, okay? You know the verses that talk about how God is long-suffering and patient? This has gone on for months, and he's hiding from God. And what happens? He has all, God is giving him plenty of time. Come. Come and repent. Come and repent. Let me restore you. Let me restore you. And he doesn't. So God sends a prophet. He calls David out. David owns it, says, yep, that's what I did. And the prophet says this, your child isn't holy. Your child is going to die. And David doesn't want the child to die, so he begins mourning. And he mourns for days, and he doesn't eat a thing, and his men are worried about him. And guess what? The child dies. 
And they don't want to tell him the child's dead because they think that's going to be it for David. He's so upset. They've never seen him like this. They finally come in. They tell him the child has passed. And you know what David does? He gets up, he eats, and he worships the Lord. He gives the Lord an offering of thanks and praise in the midst of probably what was his most painful moment of his life at that point. And guess what God does? God restores him. And he causes Bathsheba to conceive. And she has a son whose name was Solomon. And the prophet comes back to David and says this, you may name him Solomon, but the Lord calls him Jedidiah. Do you know what Jedidiah means? Beloved of God. That's the power of consecration. When we bring the, every area of our lives to the Lord, he restores them, he redeems them, he brings something beautiful out of them. And I believe in this season, that's what God is calling us into. I believe there is an outpouring of God's presence that we are on the verge of. I do. I believe we're going to experience something amazing and wonderful, something we've longed for, the kind of things we pray about and long for. It's like the night before, and God is saying to us, consecrate yourselves for tomorrow. I'm going to do wonders among you. So I want to give us three things, and then we'll close. This is how we consecrate ourselves to God. First of all, we have to receive the fact that we have been made holy through the sacrifice of Christ, and then this is what we do to consecrate ourselves. Number one, we worship. Psalm 49 says this, offer to God a sacrifice of praise. That verse we read in Hebrews says this, therefore let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise. I want to encourage us folks, when we're coming on a Sunday, come to give God something. Praise and worship is an offering. I don't know about you, but there have been times in my life, if I've had a rough week, I come in on a Sunday morning in the presence of God, and I'm like, oh, God, I need you. I just need more faith right now. Lord, we need a breakthrough in this. Lord, I need this. Lord, I need this. That's not bad. God wants us to bring those things to him. But first, he wants an offering of praise. Come and give him something. Come with something to give. Lord, I just want to tell you how amazing you are. You're the God who redeems me. You're the God who restores my soul. You're going to restore my marriage, and I praise you for it, God. You're the God who brings me beauty from ashes. You're the God that promotes me. You're the God that gives me success everywhere I go. I praise you, God. You're so good. You're so wonderful. I loved the songs we sang in worship this morning. Every song we sang was telling God how great he was. He's awesome. Guess what, folks? We did it this morning. We came and we offered something to God where we said, we love you and we praise you. That's how we start with consecration. We worship God and we give him the praise. And I want to say this. The second point is we do it with our lips. I know that sounds kind of like, well, duh. But in Hebrews, it says this. Through Jesus, therefore, let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise the fruit of lips that openly profess his name. Have you ever told a joke to someone and they say this to you? Oh, yeah, I'm laughing on the inside. Anyone said that to you? I got a joke. You want to hear my joke? <laughs> Yesterday I was looking at um, jokes for women turning, not jokes, sayings, quotes of women who've turned 50. I was looking for wisdom in my life. And I saw this quote by a woman and she said this. She said, I may be 50, but I'm still hot. It just comes in flashes now. <laughs> When you tell a joke to a friend and they don't laugh, you feel a little bit like, hmm, 
And they might say, oh, I'm laughing on the inside. It's kind of like that with praise. We don't praise God on the inside. It's with our lips. He actually wants to hear his name come across our lips. This is the power of salvation. If you believe in your heart and confess with what? Your lips, you will be saved. And that's the power of consecration. When we give him worship with our lips. So I'm not a very good singer, and my kids can testify to this. Thank goodness it says, make a joyful noise to the Lord. Because when I sing, that's what it sounds like, and that's the truth. When Joshua was little, one time I was rocking him to sleep. He was a toddler, and I was singing over him, and he looked up at me, and he goes, okay, you can stop now, Mom. (laughs) So I don't always sing. When I'm in worship, I'm not always singing, but my mouth is open and my lips are moving. Do you know why? I'm speaking to God. Sometimes I'm speaking in tongues because I don't even have words to tell him how amazing he is. And sometimes I'm just saying, I exalt you, God. You're amazing. You're wonderful. So if you're not a singer, it's okay. But we need to use our lips. So we, we consecrate ourselves by coming with something to offer in worship. We use our lips. And the last thing is there's a word in here that's really important. Through Jesus, therefore, let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise. That fire in that altar never went out. It literally burned night and day. The priests were working night and day to bring the everyday events of these people's lives and lay them on the altar so those events and areas could become holy to God. And that's the invitation the Holy Spirit is making to us. He wants the everydays. He wants the things we think are mediocre, the mundane, You know, when you're cleaning the toilet, you can do it unto the Lord. We glorify God in the way we speak to our children and our spouses. When we do a good job at work, even if we don't like our job, especially if we don't like our job, and you're doing a good job, that's giving glory to God. That's an act of worship. We are to continually give praise. I hope for each one of us that our times in our Sunday meetings are not the only times in our week that we are singing and giving praise to God that way too. There's an invitation, just so you know, for you to enter in and stand in his presence anytime you want. You just put on a song, and you stand, and you worship along with it. I mean, if you're gifted like Mike Policrasto, you can play your guitar and sing, and I'm sure that happens a lot in your home. I'm not. I have to use Bethel CDs (laughs) or Hillsong or Elevation. Anyway, this is the power of what God's doing among us. I believe we're in a season where God wants to take us, and he wants to do something with the everydays in our life. He wants to make them amazing. He wants to touch areas of our life and make them holy to him. He wants to redeem things, and he wants to give us success. I believe he wants to make us, as a church, carriers of his presence. I believe he wants us to be a people and a church family that when anything unclean comes knocking on our door, it cannot live, and it dies because we're carriers of the presence of God. We're going to take communion now, and the invitation in communion is to remember. Remember what Christ has done for us. And I want to just remind us today, this is the power of the presence of God. What Christ has done is consecrated us. We are now people who can stand in his presence. And if we stand in his presence, we can stand in his holiness, and we can receive from the power of his holiness in our own lives. He's done this for us. He is the God of Isaiah 61. Here's a divine exchange he gives us. So I want to invite us, as we're coming to get the elements, 
let's, and before we take them, let's make a decision in our hearts to consecrate our lives to the Lord afresh. Are there areas in your life that may be like David because of shame you've kind of hid from God? Mm -hmm. Have you tried to sort it out on your own? Are there successes and amazing things happening and you haven't taken a minute to just praise God in the middle of your work week? Are there places, do we have grown children and we want to see them come into the promises that word Jeremy had? God's promises are so big. Are we praising God and giving him an offering and giving those places to him? I want us to do that as we're taking the table. So let's just pray together. Father God, we thank you for your body, which was broken on the cross, that you were the perfect sacrifice. We thank you that we don't live like the Israelites who had to continually come with animals. Father God, you died for us once and for all. And your sacrifice has consecrated us and made us holy. And now we can come into the full presence of the Father and enjoy his goodness, enjoy his love. We remind ourselves of that this morning. And Father, I ask that as we take the elements, as we take the bread, and as we take the wine, that you would give us a fresh revelation of the power of your presence. That when we are in your presence, we become holy like you. (laughs) Father, that you would give us a revelation of your holiness that you've made us that there is a place, there is a place that we can, we can reach in and live in light of, that when unclean things come, we don't receive them, but they die, that we take authority. Lord, we just pray for your church across the globe right now, Father. We just thank you. We ask that you would make your bride ready, that she would be a carrier of the presence of God. She would be so holy and so pure that she would rise as the chief mountain that the things, the enemies that you're waiting to be made a footstool, that we would rise and start making them a footstool, God. Lord, I ask for this revelation to come into us. I ask that as we're taking the bread, strength would come to our spirits. Father, a fresh revelation that basically we're untouchable when we are in you because you've consecrated us and because we're in your presence and because we've been made holy like you, we can be untouchable. Father, I ask that you would give us that revelation afresh. And Lord Jesus, we eat this bread and we drink this wine with an offering of our thanksgiving to you for coming and living among us, for living a pure and holy life, for making the sacrifice for us, for saving us and making our lives new. And we thank you, Christ, that you're not done with us yet. We thank you for the beauty you're bringing in our lives. We thank you for the things you're restoring. We thank you for the successes that you're bringing to us. We give you an offering of praise and thanksgiving. Father God, we say you are amazing and Holy Spirit, we love your presence in us. Thank you.